The Old Testament reading for this morning comes from the book of the prophet Isaiah, beginning in the 55th chapter and beginning at the first verse, and I hope you'll indulge me, but I'd like to read the last four verses as well, so we're actually going to read the whole chapter. You're going to hear a whole chapter of scripture, and it's short. Here it comes. Isaiah wrote, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. I love that scripture. (laughs) Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. And behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know. And a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. But it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. And instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Oh Lord, we're used to being judged by standards that we just cannot live up to. Good looks and perfect families and money for whatever we want. And we know that these are false values, but we so want to fit in. But let our hearts be changed. Teach us, inspire us, convict us that your ways are better than our ways and your thoughts higher than our thoughts. Open our ears, our hearts, and our minds to your word for us this day. Amen. So we continue this morning with our series for Lent, Old Words for New Days. 
And the word for this morning is memorials. And central to the word memorial is the word memory. So I want to invite you now to just take a second or two and recall your favorite memory. What's your favorite memory? Maybe it's the big game that you won, the moment you first saw your child's face, the day that you realized that you had indeed fallen in love. Just think about it for just a second. in your quick thought process. Have you taken a moment and realized that it is not really just a single memory that you have? Reconstructing it, I would hazard a guess that you remember the smells, the colors, the funny thing maybe that someone said, and ultimately I think we remember the way it makes us feel. Because it's your brain's ability to collect, connect, and create paintings from these events that makes up the basis of every memory. And by extension, these memories make up the basis of you. I believe that our brains are literally made up of memories, and those memories are constantly remaking our brains. And memories exist because our brains, molecules, the cells, those things in there that fire back and forth, can tell time. So as you no doubt sense by now, defining memory is just about as tough as defining time. But a typical memory is really just a reactivation of connections between different parts of your brain that at one time were active at the same time in a previous time. Hold on, this is going to make sense, I promise. (laughs) And what I think is the really cool part of all of this is that all animals possess some sort of ability to learn from the past. Now, down throughout history, some of our greatest thinkers have been humbled by the realization, ultimately, of how little they really do know. The more they learned, the more they discovered they did not know. So they tended to approach life with reverence and wonder. Albert Einstein, no small intellect, possessed a kind of reverent humility. He once said, and I quote, The most beautiful thing that we can experience is the mysterious, the sense of wonder in the presence of something partly known and partly hidden. The one to whom this emotion is a stranger who can no longer stand wrapped in awe and wonder is as good as dead, a snuffed-out candle." Now, I am impressed that this brilliant scientist who understood so much still made room in his life for mystery. So don't you find it true that at the deepest levels of our human experience, we often run out of satisfying explanations? How do you explain why you are moved to tears by a magnificent piece of music or a great movie? You know, when a great artist produces a painting, they don't try to explain it. 
It's to be experienced, not explained. How do you account for your goosebumps when you look up at the glorious, starry sky? Or when we catch a glimpse of the sun going down in splendor, or if you happen to see it come up this morning, it was glorious. How do you explain the sense of wonder when your life is touched by God? The deepest things in life cannot be fully described. They can only be hinted at. So here's the payoff. In this morning's scripture reading, I really think the prophet Isaiah is trying to do two things. He's trying to draw the memory of the people back to an important and now forgotten historical perspective. And then he's trying to influence that perspective in some way. Isaiah is calling the people's memory back to good things that God has done, is doing, and will do. And one key word in this memory is covenant. Isaiah wants to revisit the covenant that God has made with God's people, which has been the source of good things that God has shared in the past and will share into the future. And Isaiah is writing to a traumatized people, people who are living in exile, preparing perhaps to return home soon. And he uses imagery which can't help but make them take notice. So Isaiah phrases this memorial as an invitation. He hollers it out much like a hot dog vendor hollers into the stands on opening day. Except this water, wine, milk, and bread are free. All the good things, necessary things, the staff of life, come here and eat and drink. Isaiah shouts, and then when he gets our attention, he goes on to say really the most incredible thing of all. He talks of the covenant that God has made with God's servant, King David. But now God extends that covenant that gift, that promise to all of these exiled people and even to all of us. And this is God's plan. It's God's way of thinking. God is more aware than we are of the king's failings, the people's failings, our failings. But the promise is not only renewed, it is now extended to cover an even greater number of people. God doesn't think like us. Thank God. God's ways are not our ways. And you can't receive this gift if you insist on clinging to the ways of the past. And that's our first reaction when we hear of change. We're afraid to take a risk, to try something new, to stop and listen, truly listen to what God has to offer. And instead, we just want to fall back into the old ways and forget. And that sin of forgetting what God has done for us as individuals and as a general people, that is something that we see with God's people out in the desert and ourselves really in our own deserts. We cling to ways of violence instead of redemption, hatred instead of risking love, fear instead of overwhelming joy. It is not that the world is not dangerous. Of course it's dangerous. But we are a people of God's peace. 
We were not given a spirit of fear, but of joy. There are still plenty of things to fear in today's world, but that should not dominate our thinking. Isaiah did not turn to a people who were shell-shocked from invasion and captivity and say, oh, don't worry, there's nothing wrong. He didn't say that as God's people we don't grieve. There's plenty wrong and we do grieve. But he told us that in a broken world where sorrowful things do still happen, God intends to be a part of our future, a future filled with hope and promise and purpose. And the historical markers that proclaim return from exile are always hope and peace. Hope and peace. That's not a message that the world seems ready for, even today. It seems that folks want to hold on to old hatreds, old grudges. We seem to want to respond to hate with hate, to violence with violence. But the prophet was convinced that the day of deliverance would come eventually. And he prophesied that all of creation would salute God at the deliverance of the people. Here again, the mountains and the hills shall break forth in singing, and the trees of the field shall clap their hands. And that reaction will serve as a memorial to God. The restoration of God's people out of the exile is one more mighty act of God. It would compare with the deliverance of Israel from captivity in Egypt, and all of creation would respond. And the differences that the people would see everywhere would be an abiding testimony to the ongoing presence of God. You know, we witness the differences in our own lives and in the lives of others who've been touched by the deliverance God has brought about for us by the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus the Christ. We view ourselves, the creation, everything about us in a different light. And Isaiah declares that God's word is a powerful memorial It is a sign both of God's past faithful witness and God's ongoing and everlasting mercy. God's word will not return empty because God has willed nothing less than the redemption and transformation of the whole world, indeed all of creation. So hear this this morning. Whatever fears we face, whatever sin we feel is unforgivable, whatever heartbreak or loss or despair we face, none of these, none of them, is a match for God's powerful and transforming word, which has claimed each and every one of us. And this word will never, ever let us go. And this word reaches into even the darkest places you can imagine and claims those who are most vulnerable 
and the sound of this word will reach those who need to hear it the most because it cannot be stopped and it will not return empty. So hold on to that because it is a promise. It's a promise from God. And keep the faith. Amen.